what the fuck just happened? Despite all the reassuring words to the contrary, the Seattle Seahawks just pulled off the biggest trade in franchise history, sending Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos in exchange for two firsts, two seconds, and three players. Joining us to help make sense of the madness is Seahawks expert and NFL cap guru, Davis Sue. Let's light him up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my befuddled producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts podcast. Mike, what the hell, man? I have uh, many a thought going through my head. I have had many a thought going through my head all day. Not sure about you guys, but I didn't get much work done today. Not a lick. It's funny, you know, just this morning, you and I were talking on the phone about how to approach the next few episodes and, and what was coming up with, <laughs> with the off season and, you know, just kind of we playing had it patty all cake with each planned other. Out, and, man. We had it all oh planned my out. God. And then Pete Carroll and John Schneider just dropped a grenade in the middle of the room. Yeah. We, we thought that we had the blueprint for the perfect off-season of podcasting. The Seahawks were going to be low drama, sign some key free agents, just draft a few guys, you know, minimal, minimal tempered excitement. And, Run it back, uh, baby. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, things have shifted. There has been a paradigm shift of sorts, Jackson. Absolutely, man. And that's why we're fortunate to be joined today by someone uniquely suited to break down the nuances of the blockbuster. When I first started writing about the Seahawks 11, shit, 12 years ago, Davis Sue was on Twitter breaking things down from angles I had never even considered before. Now he's here to help us parse the specifics. Davis, welcome aboard. Mike Jackson, thanks for having me on. And uh, it's an honor to be with you guys today on a very historical day. And like Mike, <laughs> I, I, a friend called me this morning and he goes, I want to talk business. I got two deals for you. But before that, I just got to mention... Let's just get it out of the way. Russell Wilson got traded. I was like, shut the fuck up. He goes, I, know, I swear <laughs> to God, go go check Twitter. And I'm like, sure enough. I'm like, and, and, and then I'm like, by the way, we're not talking any business today. And he goes, yeah, I did. I did drop a grenade just into your office. And now I just, uh, you know, ran off. So, um, yes, very little work done at my company today. <laughs> I basically harassed my employees and my coworkers and the other owners talking to them about football and they, they, they got very, very little done, you know, and the guys that aren't yeah. really into football are probably really annoyed with me. And then the guys that were really into football, you know, those guys are like probably, you know, working 30, 40% productivity, but Hey, this only happens, you know, once every 10 years, if that. Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, and we were, you were talking before the show. I mean, I think in terms of Seattle sports history, when you're talking about actual transactions, I think it's just Griffey is the only is the only one that comes close to this. Yeah. I was thinking Sean Kent and Gary Payton for Vin Baker, or Ray Allen. I don't remember all the sure. specifics. I don't think it was on this level. And then the other idea was the supersonics leaving. Um, but you're, you're probably in the top three category. Any way you look at it. Yeah. With, without question. And, and I think that we're just going to come at this organically. So I want to start off by kind of letting 
you guys know how I feel in the moment. And, and I kind of tried to work through this on Twitter a little bit ago as well. So I want to say this, and you guys can tell me what you agree with, what you disagree with, what I'm missing out on. Basically, first of all, I don't love it, at least not on the surface. I mean, in a vacuum, a 33-year-old Hall of Fame quarterback should be worth more than two firsts, two seconds, Noah Fant, uh, Harris on the D-line, Drew Locke. But trades like this are not made in a vacuum. There are still a lot of dominoes that are left to fall. And this is maybe the biggest trade in Seattle sports history. So the thing that I'm trying to keep in mind is people are going to have strong reactions to this. And I want to give people the emotional room to have strong reactions. But I am trying to make sense of this. And I do think that, you know, there's been so much debate over the last few years about do you keep Pete Carroll and move on from Russell Wilson? Or do you keep Russell Wilson, uh, move on from Pete Carroll? And I, I think for most people, this trade is just going to kind of cement whatever side of that you are on already. For me, it's a little bit of the opposite. I've been pretty pro keep Russ, move on from Pete, if that's what you need to do. But, you know, it's, with this, I, I find myself a little bit more at peace with it than I thought I would be if you had told me ahead of time this is what's going to happen. And and I think, first of all, it's important that we speak accurately about the compensation. And for me, it's definitely less than what I was hoping for. But I was also pretty open about needing the trade to be like e- an egregious overpay in order for me to be okay with it. And, and that just may not have been a possibility, especially with Wilson wielding a trade veto. But I also think it's important not to fall into the emotional trap of equating it with what Seattle traded to get Jamal Adams or what the Rams traded to get Jalen Ramsey. Yes, two firsts were involved both times, but I do think there's a ton of value in the number 40 overall pick this year, a second rounder in what is supposed to be an absolutely loaded draft next year, plus three players, I think two of which are startable right off the bat, one of which was a first rounder just a few years ago. And, and, I think that really does set the compensation well above those other two trades. Um, Davis, I know you're going to help us get into the specifics in a little bit, but while this doesn't necessarily free up a bunch of money this year because of Wilson's dead cap hit, it does free up what's probably going to be about $40 million a year over the next few years, especially if they go with a rookie quarterback. I think the two things to think about are Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, which are, you know, essentially the two quarterbacks in the NFC that are better than Russell Wilson that I think most mm-hmm. people would, you know, and you could say, Hey, is Dak Prescott or, you know, that's where you're arguing, you know, Matt Stafford and Kyler totally. Murray, but you could, most people would say, yeah, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers better than Russell Wilson, Tom, you know, Tom Brady retires, Aaron Rodgers. I always thought he was going to Denver. And so for me, the whole, one, I kind of feel bad for Aaron Rodgers because he, he has the blockbuster story. It's on the top cover of ESPN for 10 minutes, and then it gets moved to the bottom of the page. It's like, man, I hate this guy. He like, steals all my shine. But literally, you know, right. it's they were going for Aaron Rodgers. They have half the coaching staff from Green Bay becomes, you know, the coaching staff of the Denver Broncos. I think it's pretty clear that Aaron Rodgers was their 1A, but they had basically had a 1B which is a pretty good 1B, Russell Wilson. And I just think when he decided, one, I'm staying, then number two, I'm getting $50 million a year, and you know Russell Wilson and his agent are going to demand the same amount of money. Absolutely. Because he's you know six years younger, and, and he probably considers himself just as good. 
So at that point, it's that's the other factor, I think, besides saying, well, you know, what did you get for Matt Stafford or is Russell Wilson worth more? But I think I think that Aaron Rodgers, the 50 million, the fact that he doesn't go to Denver, the fact that he gets paid that, the fact that Russell only has two years left on his deal in one year, if he had one year left, you're not getting this much. You're getting even less. Okay. Yes. And the last thing is yes. the no trade clause. And that's why Seattle is leaking out the fact of what Washington is, was willing to pay because they're saying, look, we would have got three first rounders, which is, I think, what more, most people would feel better about. But either they didn't want to trade him in the division or the fact is Russell just didn't want to play, you know, for the commanders. I was going to say the Redskins. Who wouldn't want to play for Dan Snyder? Yeah, but, you know, I, I, yeah. I don't. On that on yeah. that field? Yeah. And I wouldn't want to play for, you know, no offense for, for that organization either. Right. No, I totally. And, and those are really good points. You know, I've, I, like the two of you, have had a lot of conversations since the news broke via text and, and on social media. So everyone kind of tries to make sense. And I, I think the overwhelming um, emotions have been disappointment and anger. And, and that was mine too, right from the jump. But, you know, I, I've, I've kind of settled somewhere, I think a little bit more in the middle, because like I said earlier, there's so many dominoes that still need to fall. We're, we're now talking about a war chest that Seattle hasn't had in a long time. They've been trotting out really top heavy uh, rosters for a long time now where, yeah, you've got four, five, six, maybe even seven players who are top three, top five at their various positions. But this past year, we saw their lack of depth really get exposed. And this is a chance for them to reset, clear the books, and build a team in a way that mirrors their approach back 2010, 2011, 2012. And I think when you see Pete Carroll, he essentially got two defensive coordinators plus this big name defensive back coach and then he comes out and says i've been arrogant that's pretty rare to ever because we kind of like pete carroll's arrogance like we like i i do like i like people that have ego to a certain degree i like pete carroll's arrogance and i love the fact that we could be very arrogant when you have richard sherman and cam chancellor and earl thomas and bobby wagner yeah, right. and kj Wright, and you know that kind of thing and they're all playing on rookie contracts and they could say hey we just run cover 3 and you're still not going to beat us you know and we're not we're yeah. not going to blitz right. and you're not going to know exactly but you know that hasn't worked for a long time and for him to say hey look richard sherman's not walking through that door earl thomas is not walking through that door Cam Chancellor's not walking through that door. And they're basically going to a two-safety system, which they've been doing. And now with this new set of guys, they're basically saying, hey, we're not going to have these big-name players in the back end. Because when you run a two-safety system, the two safeties are almost interchangeable, which is very different than Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas and and, and, yes. and how we thought Jamal Adams was going to be of of having you know this... this uh, and so... It's it, And it's also saying, hey, we don't even have tall corners anymore. <laughs> we have the shortest corners in the NFL now. It's, it's crazy, it's, dude. It's, <laughs> it's crazy how much of a philosophical reset this is. And, and you know, for those listening, one of the reasons that I wanted to have Davis on and why I reached out to him immediately after this news broke about coming on today is 
not only does he have this really unique insight into the inner machinations of how the NFL works, but because he has been in favor of exploring a Russell Wilson trade for a long time, long before I was. And, and Davis, talk to me a little bit, A, about how you came to that conclusion, because you've been talking about this since probably 2018, 2019. And B, do you think that they made the most of the opportunity when it finally came around? Well, I was thinking about the difference for me, because I'm not paid to do football. I don't, I have a thriving lending career. I, I don't need, and I respect everyone that's in media and the business and that work for teams and work for, you know, they have to keep people interested, you know, and you don't want a team that's irrelevant because no one, no one right. listens to your show. And so I, I don't have to keep an audience. So for me, it's like, I'm kind of like Super Bowl or bust. And so the 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 biblical parable that I've, I've been thinking about is in like Luke 14, there's a story of, uh, uh, of it was, a man was going to build a tower. Before he builds it, he should make sure he has enough money to finish it. If he doesn't finish it, everyone's going to walk by and laugh at him because he only had the foundation and he never finished the building. And to me, that was always like winning a Super Bowl. It's like you, you can't just finish 95% of the building or 75% of the building. Like if the final floor is not there, you've kind of failed. And what I've realized in the NFL, that is not really how things work. 75% right. finished buildings is enough to keep fans in the stands, sell jerseys, keep people calling into sports radio, you know what I mean, and all that. And so it's just like that is really more important is to – to get into the playoffs and to be relevant. But we've been in that for about five or six years. And I'm like, well, Hey, I don't know if we're ever going to win another Super Bowl, <laughs> you know, with paying a quarterback this, and then we've lost all these great hall of fame defensive players. I thought Carroll was going to want to reload and load up his defense again. He has not done that, you know, until it looks like he's trying to do that now. And, and really the final straw for me was in 2017, this was the last year of Daryl Bevel. Remember that debacle, that the second half of that yes. just shit show was, and remember how Russell Wilson was doing all these crazy, he was like running backwards and throwing to the sidelines. And, and, and I got to credit Brian Schottenheimer. He really, I think, reined some things in and kind of kept the, the Carol Russell Wilson marriage together for two years until he couldn't keep it together. But, but at that point I thought, man, I, I just don't think Pete Carroll can keep, keep doing this. He can't have a quarterback at that time. That was 30 million. I thought that was a lot. Now it's 50 million. And that was really the seeds of me thinking, I don't know if this can stay together. The other thing of why I've always thought this was a possibility was third down. Russell Wilson is one of the, maybe the best deep ball throw I've ever seen in my entire life. And, and quarterbacks should watch film on so many things that he does. But the way I look at it is, you know those those cake covers, those glass cake covers that maybe your mom had in the kitchen? It's like a circle, like mm -hmm. a dome. Yeah, yeah. Most quarterbacks are better. If the quarterback was standing in the middle of the cake cover, like there was like a little knob, a little handle, and that's where the quarterback stood, like Jimmy Garoppolo and, and, and all these other quarterbacks that throw in the middle of the field well – but they can't throw deep. They can't throw to the sideline. There's always more quarterbacks like that. Russell Wilson to me is like the opposite. <laughs> it's like yeah. when you get outside of that little bubble, he's unbelievable. Maybe because he has to be. <laughs> Maybe because he can't see. Maybe because his hands are 
he might ginormous, maybe because he's an amazing athlete, all those things. And he's able to win games without attacking the short middle area of the field and even being that great on third down because he can run around initially and then he can throw deep or he can basically make one play into three different plays, you know? And as he aged, it was like, can you keep doing that? You know, and that was, those were the little seed thoughts of why I was like, you know, and when you think of third down, those numbers don't come into all the quarterback metrics. Because let's say you throw for nine yards on third and 10. That's going to help your quarterback rating. But you're punting. You know, it's that situational football. It's the fact that football is a 10-yard game. It's not just a 100-yard game. Russell Wilson's really, really good at the 100-yard game. And I think in the end, you typically win by scoring points and playing the 100-yard game. But sometimes... You just need to survive in the 10-yard game, the old game, the leather helmet game, the run the ball four times. If I get three yards, I will never lose game. The old game, you know, the, the old Chicago Bears, Green Bay Packers from the 1930s or whatever, that type of game. And that's where I feel like Pete Carroll was like, I sometimes need to win that game. I need first downs. I need to keep my defense off the field. I need to convert on third down. Russell Wilson last year was... I think the worst quarterback on third down. And I almost feel like that was the final straw. I feel that broke the yeah. camel's back. I think there's, I you think know? there's validity to that. So I don't want to get in all the personal. I've been hearing so much personal stuff about Russell Wilson today of like his agent and what he was like in the locker room. And I have no idea. I have, I don't really have any negative or any real thoughts to that for me, it's all just about like what's on the field, you know, like when you play the game, you know, I, I don't care if Russell Wilson's close with his teammates or or if he has a beautiful supermodel star celebrity wife and all the different things. I'm not on really social media outside of Twitter, so I don't follow any other things he posts or business ventures. I'm I'm not I'm totally fine with all that. For me it's just about when you play the game, you know, first down, second down, third down, you know. And that so that's basically kind of the seed thought, and I just feel like last year was the breaking point. So assuming that everything is hunky-dory and everybody was getting along and aligned philosophically in this fictional universe where that's the case, Davis, would you pay Russell Wilson? Would you extend him with the contract that you know that he would want after his current deal comes to fruition? No, and I, I think Pete Carroll, they were pretty clear they're not paying him $50 million bucks, and. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure Russell Wilson's going to get fifty million dollars from the Denver Broncos. Yeah, you got to think so. And and he had to have a pretty good idea of that in order to waive the trade veto to make it happen. Yeah, Russell Wilson's going to get paid fifty million bucks. I mean, yes. I, you know, and I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. I, I just think the way Pete Carroll likes to play football, and the way he's gone back to this defensive obsession, which he's shown by you know getting rid of Ken Norton and hiring these guys. He's going to give his defensive coordinators, it sounds like he has three now, <laughs> he's going to give them weapons. And I think the weapons he's going to give them are defensive linemen. I really believe that. That I would don't be know, awesome. I don't know if it's going to be the back seven, which he's always, Pete Carroll's always made his name on the back seven, the safeties, the linebackers, and the corners, and they play a defensive line rotation. I'm wondering if he's going to go for some big firepower on defensive line, you know? Let's talk about that a little bit, Davis, because uh, 
one of the things that I think a lot of people are trying to understand and wanting to know more about are what the cap implications of this trade are. Now, my understanding is Russell Wilson was due about $37 million this year. That's right. But if I understand this correctly, this move is not clearing up $37 million of cap space this year. In fact, not even close. Yeah, that's right. So there's a thing called dead money where you get a signing bonus. I think his signing bonus was probably $50 million. And so that is spread out over four years. It was $13 million a year. So this year, if Russell Wilson was a Seahawk, he would have gotten paid $19 million base salary. He would have gotten a $5 million roster bonus that I think happens in like a week. So the timing of that is part of this whole thing. So the Seahawks don't have to pay $5 million in cash. Denver does, because I think that's coming up. And then there's $13 million of an accounting charge for you know, a quarter of his signing bonus. So his cap charge would have been $37 million for the Seahawks. Now, for the Denver Broncos, they don't have to pay a signing bonus because we already paid that, you know, a couple years ago. So for the Denver Broncos, his cap charge this year is $24 million. It's a $19 million base salary and a $5 million roster bonus. So that's 19 plus 5 is 24. So you're like, well, Seattle, why is Seattle not saving $24 million? The reason is we are taking the $13 million signing bonus charge for this year and the $13 million signing bonus that we would have paid next year in his last year. We're taking all of that this year. So basically we're taking a $37 million cap hit. And now we're, instead of paying that to Russell Wilson, we're taking a $26 million cap hit, which is his signing bonus. What's left of his signing bonus that has not been accounted for. So the difference is 11 million. Now the good thing is, next year we would have had to we would have had to account for 13 million, and we've cleared that up. So it's not a big savings this year. It's 11 million dollars, but next year you've you've basically cleared the books. So that that and really you can roll your salary cap. So it is you could even do a contract this year and really have a lot of it being weighted into next year. So it. It's better than just saving $11 million because you are clearing up the $13 million from next year and you're, you're just basically dealing with it right now. And by doing that, so they've got $11 million and talk me through how much. So let's talk about the Where players Where did the $11 here. million dollars go? Is that Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we got three players coming in plus we got, so you no know, we added two high draft picks. $2 million, bucks, give or take. No offense, $2 million. Okay. Drew Locke's about $1.3 million. And Shelby Harris, which is the defensive end, is really most of it. He's seven and a half to eight million bucks. Is he a cut candidate? I really don't. I don't know enough about him to really even, you know, and I haven't looked at his contract. But but the quick and dirty is the eleven million dollars is essentially going to those three guys. And most of it it goes to Shelby Harris. So that's kind of the wash. Now, we do get a first round pick. That guy will cost around four million which still is, you know, that that's a bargain, you know, if, if it's if the guy's halfway decent. Um, so we have to account for that. But in terms of that $11 million we're saving for Russell Wilson, it's essentially going to the three players. So is this the end of the road for Bobby Wagner in Seattle? Well, I did look at Over the Cap, which is a great website, much better than me at this cap stuff. Jason Fitzgerald, it should be part of your whole entire, you know, off-season 
Uh, and, and he is the number one name on the top of the list, and they sort it by the highest paid player. So I definitely, <laughs> it does make you wonder, right? That, that you know, if they're thinking of possibly trading Tyler Lockett, now the best player you have is DK Metcalf. So at this point, I'm not trading him unless I get, you know, I don't know what I would demand for that. But but he, to me, DK Metcalf's now the best player, you know. But yeah. I think, yeah, pretty much everyone else is probably probably up for grabs i would think yeah i I would think so so all right let's let's put you in the driver's seat as the gm you've you've cleared up the russell wilson headache but you've got a huge vacuum at the biggest most important position in all of american sports are you more inclined to then use the fact that you just added the ninth overall pick and the 40th overall pick and try and come out of that with a rookie quarterback on a rookie deal? Or are you more inclined to just kind of punt this year, spend around the trenches, rework some contracts, and then starting in 2023, take what would presumably be your own high pick plus Denver's next year and uh, try and come out with a quarterback that season? I think when they went to the combine, I think they got a lot of information. I think in when they went to the combine, they got information that Aaron Rodgers was not leaving. And I think they probably got information that Aaron Rodgers was getting paid $200 million over four years. I also think they probably got information that Russell Wilson's going to want a similar amount of money. And I think they had decided that they are not you know, paying that. I also, my personal belief, is I feel they found two players at the combine quarterbacks that they felt good about. And maybe they didn't think they're going to be the next Josh Allen because I don't, you know, or Patrick Mahomes, but they felt they, they I feel like they felt not just one guy. I believe there's two guys that they felt. Now, would you really spend the number nine pick for the guy? Because there's really not a quarterback this year likely worthy of the number nine pick, especially when you have, the defensive tackle was it named Jordan Davis, <laughs> you know, 340 yeah. pounds oh, running a four seven. Uh, well, you it's, know, a, it's or, a unique draft that or way, Aiden right? And Hutchinson, which he won't be there, but he's six foot seven. And besides that, he's like Nick Bosa, but six foot seven, you know, or you have the, the lineman out of Alabama, who's 335 pounds. And, you know, I mean, so you're going to either get a, probably a really good player, which we need those or between 9, 40, and 41, they have a shot to get a quarterback and probably two really good players. So I think I think they probably – it's somewhat fluid, I think. I do think there are two quarterbacks that they're, they feel could be there for them. But if they're both gone at one of those slots, those target slots, I think they're probably like, look, we're just going to take some good players, right? You know, because it's it's everything's moving. You have to you have like five or six different plans, right? So, right, you know, right. That's that's the thing too. Is like this, it's constantly shifting ground this time of year. You can't mm-hmm. just pick one direction and say, okay, we're going to draft so and so, because mm-hmm. you never know what's going to happen. I mean, there's there's a lot of movement that can happen in the eight picks ahead of you. Yes. Maybe you get an offer to trade down yes, from nine that you just incredible. can't say no to. Yes. You know yeah. what I mean? Because there's someone sitting there that someone else has to have. But I want to take a stab at the two quarterbacks, and, and you tell me if they're the same two that you're thinking. Okay. The two that I think would be the type that uh, appealed to John Schneider and Pete Carroll the most are Malik Willis and Matt Corral. I agree. 
I, I really believe those are the guys. We're not. John Schneider is not going to draft a quarterback with eight and a half inch hands. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a Kenny Pickett from Pitt reference yeah, for those yeah. of you who are wondering. He's kind of the other guy that's being talked about as yeah. a potential first quarterback off the board. I just don't see John Schneider ever doing that. In an open-air Northwest Stadium, you don't no. think that they're going to go with a tiny-handed quarterback? Wearing little neon green gloves. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this is a, a sign from above or something, but I just got an Adam Schefter tweet notification about Mitchell Trubisky. I don't yeah. think that bodes well. <laughs> Mike? With, with the Seahawks? No, no, no. He's oh. on like his fucking podcast or something. Oh, Mike's just giving material, everybody listening more. an absolute heart just, attack. Exactly. I'm just trying to. I'm just. Mike, well, maybe, but maybe they do go after like Jordan Love or uh, who knows? I mean, yeah, right. This is a great opportunity. I wanna, I wanna ask you guys to play a little, a little game with me here. All right, uh, a little lightning round, if you will. We've done this Ooh. before, so I'm gonna list off some quarterbacks, Dude. and then on a scale from one to ten, ten being your like. Severely hyped, one being your projectile vomiting uncontrollably, which Jackson, I know you're a Blazers fan, so I know you've gotten some reps in recently. I'm, I'm going through this already with, with Jody Allen's other team. So. <laughs> On a scale from 1 to 10, how confident are you guys feeling about the given name that I present you as the Seahawks starting quarterback in 2022? We'll go back and forth. So starting with one of the members of, of the Broncos, who was shipped over to Seattle, Drew Locke. Davis, how are you feeling about that? Two. I really don't like Drew Locke. I, I mean, I, I, I've i never liked that guy. I mean, there's just certain quarterbacks. I I just, I, yeah, no. Yeah, you know, I, I think each of these names, for me anyway, kind of has a, a, a two-sided answer. There's how do I feel if they're the quarterback? for this year and then how do I feel if they're the quarterback next year and for Drew Locke it's like a 3 this year if they just want to go 3 and 14 and they just need a guy to be that dude for a year sure that's fine he's cheap if he's the quarterback in 2023 it's like a negative 1 all right well then this will be fun Carson Wentz oh my god all right Carson I'm Wentz four. this I'm year four. is a 4 I'm going to say yeah. 4 yeah I'll say a 4 okay uh Malik Willis Man, okay, yeah. I'll go seven. I'll go seven. All right. Now, we're just throwing names out here, so Baker Mayfield. Six. High fives. I'm going to go with six, too, actually. I'm going to go with six. Okay. Marcus Mariota. Four. Five. Has, does he Does he even play? Is, <laughs> where is... Where is Mar he's, is he alive? I mean, where where is this yeah, guy? He's he's the I think Raiders Wildcat quarterback. Oh, okay. Currently. <laughs> okay, jeez. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mar Mariota is probably a four a four for me, <laughs> and then like a one if he's the guy in twenty twenty three. Okay, Patrick Mahomes. Oh my god. Thinking maybe a soft five here, maybe <laughs> maybe high four. No, that is a fully erect eleven. Yes, of course, of course. Okay, Matt Corral. I'll go with a good seven for that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say, I'll say, a, I'll say a seven on him. I mean, there's just that rookie optimism, you know, the uh, rookie quarterback's the most exciting thing. So I think there's an extra little, little pop there that pushes him to a seven for me. Davis, did he and DK overlap at Ole Miss or, or did Crow come in after Metcalf got drafted? 
uh, Matt Corral was a backup his first year at Ole Miss in 2018, which was DK's final year. Got so, it. Got it. Connection achieved. Uh, <laughs> okay, just a couple more here. Just a couple more, all right? Gardner Minshew. I would go with a five. I think that'd be fun, actually. I, I actually love Gardner Minshew. That's like a strong seven. That is a oh, strong geez. seven for me. He's oh, cheap. Geez. I think he's actually I think he's actually pretty good. Like he was pretty not terrible in an awful situation in Jacksonville and then was really good in that one spot start he had for Philadelphia. Like really, really good. So and then pretty okay in his other one. I don't know. Yeah, he's a strong seven for me. I also love small sample sizes. Okay, final <laughs> name. Final name. <laughs> Fuck off. Kirk Cousins. God, he's the best quarterback that you've mentioned, but he's also the lamest <laughs> of the ones that are starter quality. I'm going to go three because, one, he's going to cost a lot it's of money. Expensive. Yeah. He's so and so expensive. I'd rather go with some of these other guys for a lot cheaper than going with a known quantity at, you know, I don't know what he's worth at 30 million, 25. I don't know. He's going to get paid $45 million this year. Then no. I, I'm, yeah. Three. Okay. Actually, I have one more name for you. Russell Wilson. How <laughs> how would you feel about Russell Wilson starting for the Seahawks in 2022? It like like if he fails his physical and he's back or something like no, that? No, what I'm thinking in this scenario, he has like a horrible start to the year and Seattle buys low before the deadline and brings him back after accumulating all of those resources. So it's like Pete and John are the architects of the greatest heist in modern sporting. No, I'm saying if the trade never actually happened, this is hypothetical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on now. <laughs> all right. All right. If the trade never actually happened and... And everything that comes with it, that's that's high eights, low nines for me. I'm more like a six because, again, I, I feel like we've been in this place for six or seven years. The last playoff game that I remember us winning, but I didn't look this up, was against a very mediocre Lions team. Am I, is, that, is that correct? Is that the last? You know, they've Seahawks had one They since. beat a very mediocre Eagles team. Yeah, with, uh, later. there it is, with, that one against yeah, the backup. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Right, okay. right. So that, you know, those are our last two playoff wins. I mean, who was the quarterback on the Eagles win? It was Wentz. It was but then Wentz he got hurt, and then Josh right? McCown. McCown, yeah. Like, yeah, Josh McCown. Because we knocked, didn't we knock out the quarterback? Like, yeah, Clown, Clowney got yeah, him. Yeah, Clowney fucking planted him. <laughs> yep, yep. So even those two playoff wins are, I, I'm sorry, those were pretty. They are, they're uninspiring yeah. wins for sure. And uh, just to to rule out that hypothetical of Russell Wilson starting for the Seahawks, Russell Wilson has now officially signed his no trade provision and passed his Broncos physical. Whoa! Per sources. Wow! wow. That happened quick. Okay. Okay. So so Davis, how are we how are we prioritizing this move forward? We have. I wanna I wanna hear how you think Pete and John are gonna approach this, and then how you would because. Yeah, you've got, you know, Seattle has some money to spend still this year, even if they're not clearing really any money, functionally speaking, this year. In the next two, three years after, they're going to be able to spend a ton. They already had, like, the sixth most cap room coming into free agency this season. How are you spending it, and how do you think they actually will spend it? Well, they actually have the most cap room in the NFC. Wow. And so... What we've seen in the NFL is this big shift where all the star young quarterbacks are mostly now in the AFC. 
And so the AFC is loading up with all these talented guys. You know, I'm thinking of the Chargers, the Bills, you know, the Chiefs, and or Lamar Jackson. It's all in the AFC. And I don't think the contracts have fully hit to really load these teams down. You know, so when you think of the NFC, I think we're actually, I think we actually have the most cap space in the entire NFC. So I think they are going to go cheap at quarterback. And I think they're actually going to tilt the cap side back to the defensive side of the ball, sort of like how they did it before, where, you know, when they won their Super Bowl, they were more heavily tilted. So if you think about that team, it was heavily tilted toward the defense. They were paying the defensive line. They were older players. The younger players were in the back seven, but they hadn't had their full contract. They hadn't had their second contract yet. The, the offensive side of the ball, really the money was spent on the O-line and everyone else was for the most part pretty cheap. So could you see that again? I, I, I could see that, you know, where you really – you tilt the, the cap space more to the defensive side of the ball, but I do think the money is going to be spent on defensive line. The other thing I was thinking about is the Rams were copying the Rams in a lot of things, and the NFL is copying the Rams, and the Seahawks are copying the Rams in so many different ways, you know, and 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 it kind of makes me sick. But but that's just it's just you look at all the different coaches being hired in the NFL and whatnot, you know. Yeah. But what the Rams did when you look at their defense. They only really have difference makers in about three spots. But those difference makers are the number one guys either at their position or the number one guys that ever played. <laughs> yeah, <kind> right. Thing. <laughs> right. But the yeah. rest of the defense is really turned over every two or three years. And it worked for them. Where we've spent, we've spent on an older middle linebacker and we've spent on a safety. Those are, for the most part, if you racked all the positions on defense, those are the least paid positions, and yet we've spent the money, you know, on what the NFL says. These are actually safety and linebacker is not an important position in the NFL. Obviously, every position is important, but in the NFL, right. by the cap, is proven that defensive ends, defensive tackles, and cornerbacks are the most valuable players on defense. Yeah, mi middle linebackers are like the running back of the defense. Exactly, and safeties are like the tight end. And, and obviously, <laughs> yeah, tight ends sure. are valuable and running backs, they're all valuable. Sure. But when you're ranking them up, you see how the, the Rams have done it. Now, are we going to do it exactly like the Rams? Probably not, because you probably can't get Jalen Ramsey. You probably can't get Aaron Donald. I, I know you can't get either of them. But could we change where the money's spent? I do definitely think this is the time to start re, you know, being very, really, really open, you know, on and how, what body types do you want older young players, you know, and where do you want to spend your money? You know, there's, I think it's really important to also understand that this is, this move is all about the next two years. It's not just about, oh, what do you do in 2022? Do you try and tank for a high pick? Do you, do you somehow try and compete and, and reach for a quarterback that's a little bit more ready to go? Um, but I, to me, a lot of the reaction seems to be like, oh, the Seahawks are tearing it down. And I, I don't really think this is a roster primed for a teardown. I I think that they've been making some moves. I think they've had successful drafts overall the last uh, couple of seasons. 
and have been positioning themselves to reload as opposed to totally rebuild. And as crazy as it might be to hear that, hey, you just traded Russell Wilson for a bunch of picks, how can you not be rebuilding? I I actually think that between the money they have to spend in free agency and the option to get a promising quarterback on a rookie deal, they could be contending again by like 2023 if things you know fall the way that that they really could. Yeah, I, I really don't know. I, all I know is I think in a week we're going to know a lot more because free agency is going to open up. You're already seeing the free agency essentially open up right now. You're going to have all the top tier free agents. They're going to sign in the tampering period, right? You're going to have all the leaks and that stuff's like three days ahead of the official date, right? And then you're going to go through the different tiers of the, the free agents. And I hope that the Seahawks are active in every tier of free agency. I really believe that. I, I, I hope that they are, they're not just going for just only big name guys or only going for bargain discounts here and there. Cause typically John Schneider likes to do that. I, I hope they're active. They get a couple tier one guys and then they also are just active in all the, you know, the different phases of free agency. You know, I just hope that they're active in all those phases. The other thing is there's probably some cuts that are coming and there's probably some more trades, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and that's, that's why I'm trying to reserve judgment on this is because look, if the Seahawks don't do anything else and just carry their current roster in, yeah, this is a disaster, but that's, that's not it. They, they are giving themselves a ton of potential assets. And I just can't say the Seahawks won or lost this trade until we see how all that plays out. And, and as much as, we don't want to hear this because we do want to be able to have a strong opinion right away and say, yes, we won the trade or we lost the trade. I think it's going to take a couple of years before we really know how this, you know, how successful this trade was. Yeah, I think getting Noah Fant back could be significant because we have a huge hole at tight end. Now, I do think it's supposed to be a good year for tight ends and there's different types of tight ends. I hope that just because they have Noah Fant, that, you know, depending on how the picks fall out, that you still go after another one. Now, whatever quarterback you have, you also have to prioritize where does this guy like to throw? Who does he like to target? What type of receivers? And I don't think we really know that yet. So for me, it's, it's hard to know, you know, who are going to, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, especially with weapons. I think it's too early for me to say it's like, OK, we're going to go after a receiver, you know, this body type you know, likes the ball here, likes these types of routes. I, I, I just don't think we know because yep. because we don't know who the quarterback is. For offensive line, you just need a good offensive lineman no matter who the quarterback is. So, you know, obviously they're going to do some work there no matter who the quarterback is, whether he's old or young or athletic or more of a pocket guy, you know. <laughs> well, and, and you know, we, we also have a different approach to offense now than – we've really had before. I mean, Bevel and Schottenheimer were both kind of short, 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 long type of play callers. And, and the way that they use their personnel groups really mirrored that with Shane Waldron, you've got someone coming from an offensive school that is all about that mid range. And yep. like we talked about at the top of the show, Russell Wilson is not a mid range quarterback. So it's going to be really curious to see, who they go for at quarterback and and what that does for opening up 
that kind of middle chunk of the field. And by that, I mean that five to 15 yards downfield spot that Seattle, I mean, if you look at Russell Wilson's career passing charts, yeah, he hits a fair amount of those outside outside the hash marks in that range. But if you imagine the field as a tic-tac-toe board, that center square is just a void. Yeah, and I think I think the other thing, too, is he's always had that weakness, but with his athleticism when he was young, he was always able to kind of overcome it. Yep. You know, and even make you pay even more. Even if he doesn't hit that initial read, he's now hitting you for 100, you know, for, for 60 yards, you know, off some yes. amazing play where he's, you know, spun – around and 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 found Doug Baldwin, you know, cutting across the field. You know, those days are those plays are not gone completely, but they're definitely more fewer and far between. You know? Yes. And I think yes, for someone are. like Russell Wilson, I always said when he was younger, his biggest weakness was not his height. His biggest weakness was trusting his own athleticism. Mm. When you have Peyton Manning, like Archie Manning was this athletic quarterback who could have been a pro baseball player and, and played more almost like a Colin Kaepernick. When Peyton Manning watched old film of his father, he looked at his dad. He goes, dad, I have none of those athletic gifts. <laughs> and Archie was like, son, you're going to play quarterback a totally different way. Yeah. So Peyton Manning had zero trust in his athleticism. So he had to basically be ridiculously good pre-snap and he had to be ridiculously good within the first three seconds of a play. And obviously he was, you know, that type of thing. Russell Wilson never had to be like that because he was so talented and so gifted. And my question is, as he ages, those old muscle memories, you know, it's kind of like, if I don't like that first read, I'm just going to take off. Oh, wait, I can't take off anymore. Right. But the ball's totally. not out. And that's the things I, where I, I've been wondering and worried about. And obviously, I think Pete Carroll and John Schneider must have felt similarly because they just showed it today. Well, it does it does make things more challenging from a play calling standpoint, from a route running standpoint, and from a blocking standpoint, right? Like so much of the modern NFL offense, even with all these athletic quarterbacks, is still built around timing. Yes. You know, receivers are making certain breaks and turning to look for the ball on very regimented either step counts or second counts. You've got offensive linemen who are setting pass protection around the notion that there is going to be a pocket unless it's like a designed rollout or something, but 90 plus percent of pass plays are going to be about creating and then protecting a pocket. And when you have a quarterback who has the ability and the trust in his athleticism, like you were talking about to ad lib and work outside of the structure, it can lead to a lot of really great plays, especially when you have someone who throws on the move as well as Wilson does. But it does just make it really, really difficult on the rest of those positions to count on what the quarterback is going to do. So it'll be interesting to see if the next quarterback is more of an in-structure guy. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I, If you want only an in-structure guy, like if you get a Matt Matt Coral, I don't even know how to say his name, but, but a guy like that, when I watch film of him, he reminds me of Jimmy Garoppolo. He has a really quick release. He's he's the ball's out fast, but he's kind of attacking just that middle of field. There's nothing about him that looks really, really special. You know, like when I watch Matt Stafford, I still see I'm like, wow, this guy has a cannon of an arm. You know, this guy has a lot of balls to wing the ball into these like tight spaces. And I'm like, I see why Matt Stafford was the first pick of the draft. Right. Absolutely. And so there's there's special things. 
for a lot of the guys this year, they're not going to have that that specialness. And for Russell Wilson, he had a whole bag of specialness. I think Russell Wilson changed the game. I really believe that. I believe he changed the game for quarterbacks that were either more athletic or they were they were uh, short, you know, or black. I, I think Wilson's had an influence on he, – he's changed the game. And so teams – now know how to deal with an athletic quarterback or they're going to want that or they create a special set of plays and they work with that. And I think he was part of that. But as you get older, you know, can you change your game? And will he, he'll never be a Drew Brees just because, you know, he's within one inch, you know, his height. Because again, Drew Brees never, Drew Brees never was as athletic as Russell Wilson. So Drew Brees, he's like, look, I have to play this way for me to succeed, you know? So those are, you know, so I am super curious. I have no idea. Is, is the quarterback going to be, you know, an athletic guy or, I, or, you know, along those lines, there's, there's one name that in the lightning round, uh, we didn't talk about, but what if you could get Tom Brady to come out of retirement for one year? I don't think Bruce Arians is going to, is going to put his cocktail down and let, <laughs> let, 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 let Pete Carroll, I, I just I, I don't see Bruce Arians, you know, I, I don't know, but maybe he doesn't make that call. But uh, um, I just don't that's, think that's I, the ultimate bridge quarterback right there. Yeah, is I, I just one year don't of the think GOAT. Tampa Bay is going to just let, you know, it's just yeah. like, look, you could either play for for you could be retired. We, we respect you and honor you as the greatest player that ever lived and won a Super Bowl for us. But you, we're not letting you play for the San Francisco 49ers, you know, <laughs> yeah, or the Seattle totally. Seahawks. Yeah, I don't totally. know. Totally. Totally. The ultimate bridge quarterback is no quarterback at all. How about this for a new blueprint? Resign Rashad Penny. The Giants are shopping Saquon Barkley trade for him and just run the Wildcat every play. <laughs> Who needs receivers? Trade DK, trade Tyler, just invest in the line. Invest I thought in, you were going to uh-huh. say the to- the perfect bridge quarterback was Teddy Bridgewater. <laughs> I thought that's what it's you right. It's right there in the name, man. Yeah, no. It's going to be really wild to see how they approach this next season because you know we we've talked about Seattle off seasons for the past decade in terms of you know how are they going to strengthen this weakness or bolster this strength or whatever but nothing no decisions have been as core to the success of the team as this one and they haven't had I mean, honestly, I don't even know if back at the beginning of the Carroll and Schneider era, if they ever had the amount of assets in terms of draft capital and salary cap space that they have right now. So this this really is kind of unprecedented times for this franchise. And in fact, a lot of franchises never get to this position, although the ones that do find themselves here a lot find themselves there a lot for a reason, right? You just do have some franchises that are bad. You look at the Jaguars, they've always got a ton of cap space. They've always got a ton of high draft picks, but there's, there's rotten DNA in that franchise. I I do think that for all of the flack that John Schneider has taken for some of his first round misses. And and a lot of that is well-deserved. It is important because a lot of people are on Twitter saying like, Oh great. We got a first round pick. Can't wait to use them on a punter or whatever, but <laughs> LJ. But <Collier>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the thing is, is like, 
drafting in the end of the first round is a totally different activity than drafting at the top of the first round. There aren't 32 first round talents in any draft. And so drafting at the back half, no one is consistently good at drafting at the back half of the first round. So, you know, drafting ninth overall, that's not something Seattle's really had the opportunity to do since what, 2010, 2011. And when they've drafted early, they got, I think the only three picks that John Schneider has had in the first half of the first round were Russell Okung, Earl Thomas, and Bruce Irvin. And I'd say that's pretty good. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, I think drafting in the top 10 is, is a big, big deal. I think having two picks at 40 is also a big deal. Not just big one, time. but having two big picks time. at 40. You have this triangle of of options, you know, because you if you pick at the top of the second round, there's almost no pressure on that player. <laughs> it's just it's 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 like what's the difference between the 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 28th pick and the the 35th pick? Probably not much. But the the, the guy at 28 is always going to be a first rounder. Yes. And if he doesn't become really good, he's always going to be a bust. Absolutely. And if you're a solid player at the top of the second round, then you're like, hey, man, that's cool. You're a, you. And the other thing is you weren't the first player picked. Being the first player picked in any given year has an additional pressure. It's like being the firstborn child in your family, you know, versus being the second kid that can just, you know, kind of like slide under the radar and forget his birthday. And, you know, we only take a picture of him once a year. And it's just it's just a different psychology and, a, and level of pressure. So I think having the two second round picks now, again, where the final picks take place, who knows? You know, maybe it's going to be top of the fir- bottom of the first round, middle of the first round. Maybe they pick their native spots, but I think having the two picks at 40 and 41 and having nine is a, is a big, big deal. We have not had anything like that since 2010. Yep. And then next year, two picks in the first round and two picks in the second round again in what is supposed to be the most heralded draft class in a very, very long time. So, And you can also use one of those picks this year if if you're really, you know, spring loaded on four or five players that you really, really want, or let's say DK Metcalf of this year's draft. It's, I almost don't want to blaspheme his name because I think he's just this marvelous talent, but let's say there is a DK Metcalf in this draft and he's just sitting there on the board, like a red Thor, you know, just like a blinking red light. You got ammo from the next year's draft. (laughs) You do, you know, you you can go in and get that. And it's just, it's just, and yet, and then when you go to next year, it's not like you're gonna not going to have a first-round pick or a second-round pick because you already have two in each round. So it just gives – it open. it's just going to be such an exciting draft, I think, and it's going to be such an exciting offseason. Probably the most exciting one in – God, I, I, I can't imagine – you know, 10 years. Yeah, you know? yeah, I, I, I think so. It's it's certainly the highest leverage one, and it's it's easy, and I am kind of – trending towards the camp of getting really excited about all the opportunity because they could, I mean, if, if they really play their cards, right, this could be a huge infusion of talent over the next two years. Also just have to keep in mind their drafting is hard. Getting free agency, right. Is hard. And if they don't do it, Seattle just set themselves back really badly for potentially a long time. And those are going to be, you know, my, 
one of my number one things right now is just make sure you're building something that keeps DK Metcalf around because I think that he one he's my favorite player of course but two I just think there's something he brings to the team if you're the team DK Metcalf wants to be on you're a cool team so you got to stay cool and and I'm really hoping that uh, Carol and Schneider are able to pull that off I agree I think DK Metcalf is now your most marketable your most talented player he's one of the most marketable you know, sexy players in the NFL. I mean, the guy is just men, men have a crush on this guy. I mean, this guy is the most magnificent looking athlete probably in the NFL, you know? Yep. And I am sure he has many, many female suitors at any given point in time, but, but at least four, we know this, (laughs) but, but, but to switch back to the defensive side of the ball. And I know I'm a defensive guy. So my brain is one of those brains that, I always like when I coach, like even like my kids in like flag football for me to do offense, it takes me a lot of work for me to solve a problem on defense. I can do it in about five or six seconds. My brain is just naturally bent toward defense, which for Pete Carroll, I'm super interested in the new scheme and the body types. It's it's almost like we're a three, four team, not a four, three team. Right. And and obviously, we were a 4-3 team that did a lot of 3-4 principles, 3-4 personnel. Now, I almost wonder if we're a 3-4 team that does a lot of 4-3 things. And you're like, well, that's not really much of a difference. Uh, maybe it is, though, right? And it changes yeah. your linebackers. It changes your defensive line. And then you marry it with the back end, which is essentially not a two. It's a two-safety back end. And then it, it, so I have no idea what type of players. We knew the prototypical defensive players the Seahawks like for 10 years. We knew exactly. We could look at the draft board and see that's not a Seahawk. That's not a Seahawk. That guy looks like a Seahawk, not a Seahawk. Now, now what is it? I don't think we, we really know, you know, the quarterbacks could be five foot nine with 29 inch arms for all I know. I have no idea. Totally. It's a, it's a full, it's a full reset. And, and I have been harping on Pete Carroll and John Schneider to show some adaptability and holy cow, are we getting it right? Like this is, this is a, a reimagining of every aspect of the roster going to be absolutely fascinating to watch how it shakes out. I know that we could probably do this for the rest of the night. Davis, I want to thank you so much for carving out the time on short notice to jump on with us. Sounds like all three of us have some work we've been putting off that we should probably get to. So thank you again for coming on. Uh, Before we get out of here, let the people who are listening know where they can find more of you. You know, I don't post as much these days as I used to because I I, I run a couple of businesses, but... In times like this, I sh- I will be tweeting through it, as they say. So it's Davis Sue Seattle, D-A-V-I-S-H-S-U Seattle, Davis Sue Seattle on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on TikTok or, or any of the other uh, venues, but I am on Twitter, and uh, I'll be tweeting through this offseason. If you're not following Davis, make sure that you are because he is going to be one of the bookmarked accounts for me as uh, we work through the most unique offseason, certainly in the last decade. So, again, thank you so much to Davis for coming on. And all of you guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for hopping on with us on short notice as well. Uh, I hope we help make a little sense out of uh, the madness today. And uh, as always... Feel free to give us a follow on social media as well. You can find me on Twitter at, at Jackson Bevins. 
Remember, that is J-A-C-S-O-N. No K is OK. Mike is it at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is it at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at, at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on Facebook at Seahawks Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fugles.com slash Cigar Thoughts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave us a quick review. Really can't overstate how much that means to us. So we've got a lot coming down the pipe this offseason all of a sudden. You can count on us to be here to help you break it down and work through it. Until then, onwards and upwards. Onwards and upwards.